Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. Today, it's time for somewhat of a difficult topic. You see, I'm preparing a message series that starts next week about marriage. And in getting ready for that, I thought I'd give everyone a preview by talking about the opposite of marriage. Let's talk today about how God feels about divorce. Yeah, I know it's a tough topic, but why else do a marriage preparation series? Let's see how God really views divorce in each of our lives. It's not a cute topic, is it? I know this topic may be heavy, it may be weighty. In fact, uh, I know that this is a topic that's not discussed much in church anymore. Uh, For some reason, I I know as as I was talking about this with other people this week, I had several people that were kind of surprised that we'd be talking about this. You know, I had several people tell me something along the lines of, you know, I don't know why you're talking about this, because pastors don't usually like to rock this particular boat in churches these days. Um, But I just want you to know I take this topic seriously because I know you take it seriously. I know our culture doesn't take it that seriously anymore, right? I mean, for the last 20 or so years, 50% of marriages have ended in divorce. And and that whole thing may just kind of be a joke in our common mentality in our culture today. But I know that there are people in the room this morning and there are people watching online who have divorce in their past. Some have it in their very, very recent past. Some of you may be wondering if you have that in your immediate future. And this is a serious, heavy thing. It's a dark, dark chapter that a lot of us have had to walk through in our lives. So I just want you to know, I don't take this lightly. I don't think that it's a joke. I take this very, very seriously. Some of you are even here today because you wound up in LJ running from that toxic situation. You had to get away from him. You had to get away from her. You had to get away from all that. And so you ended up here in LJ to get away from it. It was such a serious thing that it changed everything about your life. So we want to take this very, very seriously this morning as we look at it. And I hope you'll take it seriously enough to follow along, take some notes, and make sure that you're with me on this because I want us to be clear about what God says about divorce. Not everybody's clear about what God says about divorce. Some people think God, you know, didn't like it a long time ago, and now he just kind of turns a blind eye to it. But, but you know, I, I've got a Bible, and probably you do too, and this is what God says. This is how he feels about divorce. In Malachi, he says this, I hate divorce. I mean, enough said, God hates divorce. So what does that really mean? You know, I, I might say I hate things from time to time. I might say I hate, I don't know, asparagus. Or, uh, you know, I might hate those cheesy, terrible Christmas romance movies that are all over Netflix and everything, you know, right before 
and during Christmas. I might say, I hate those things, and who cares what I say? Who am I? Who cares what I love or hate, right? It doesn't really matter. I, I may throw that word around, and it doesn't really mean much of anything. But God is love, right? God is love, and yet God says, I hate divorce. So I think if God, who is love, says that he hates something, we ought to take it very, very seriously. And I don't think God just randomly picks things to hate. I think God hates divorce for a very specific reason. And to understand why God hates divorce, we got to understand how much God loves marriage. Yeah, God loves marriage. If you're going to understand one, you got to understand the other. So let's look at what God says about marriage first, okay? So Genesis 2, 24. Genesis 2, the beginning of the story, right? Right at the beginning, God has created everything, right? All the stars and the planets and the mountains and the rivers and the oceans and the flowers and the bugs. Why did he create the bugs? I hate the bugs. But nobody cares about what I hate. But God created the bugs. He created the fish. He created everything. And he creates man, right? And he creates woman. And he puts them together in the garden, right? And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. So God is the one who comes up with this whole idea. God's the one that designs the whole concept of marriage. And he puts the man and the woman together in the garden. He's created them separately and he brings them together and God himself conducts the very first wedding. I've officiated some of your weddings. <laughs> And I love that. I love, I love doing weddings. I love being able to do that. But dude, how about God himself officiating at your wedding? Wow. He puts them together in that beautiful garden. And this is why a man and a woman leave their families and are united into one. Much later, Jesus is being asked about marriage. And we're going to look at this passage a lot in our life groups this week as we kind of take this apart. But Jesus is being asked about marriage, and he goes back to Genesis. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 19. Jesus says this explains marriage. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they're no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined Together, Don't you think it's interesting that Jesus connects back to Genesis when he's, when he's talking, when he's teaching about marriage? He connects back to the creation event. He, cre he connects back to God initiating marriage himself. I always think it's good when God repeats himself and says the same thing over and over again because there's a, there's a reason for that. I don't think God ever wastes words but when you look in the Bible and you see God saying the same thing in multiple places, like this passage, which is repeated multiple times throughout the scripture, it's because God wants us to see something. 
Okay, he wants, he wants me and you to catch something that's a little bit deeper than the surface level. Have you caught it yet? He's showing us something about marriage that we need to see that he wants us to be able to see. He wants us to see that marriage, your marriage, and my marriage, is much, much greater than the sum of its individual parts. There's something much bigger, much better going on here than you and I may realize on a day-to-day basis. Right? Am I right, Sherry? I mean, there might, there might be something bigger going on here than we might realize. I mean, it's, is it possible that you and I take our marriages just a little bit for granted? I mean, is it possible that you come home every day to the same house, to the same people, and is it possible that you just forget that there's something more to this than your simple relationship? God's trying to show you. He's trying to show me that there's something so much more going on here. What he's showing is that one of the first things we can see in these passages is the, is the first blank on the page, is that marriage is God's, not ours. Marriage is God's, not ours. It's easy to take it for granted. It's easy to kind of look at it and treat it like it's mine, like I'll conduct this the way I want to, like, you know, this benefits me somehow or doesn't benefit me somehow. But we can see by looking at this passage that marriage is God's. Do do you understand what that means? We have an entire category for things that are God's, not ours. We call those things sacred we call them holy they are his and we don't put our hands all over them and mess with them it's God's thing it's God's design he has designed it he has implemented it and he loves it it's his it is a big deal to God and we know, so we know the first thing we can see there is that, that this is God's, not ours. But we can also see this in Genesis 2.18. God's looking at the man he created and he says, Lord God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So God is seeing that he has created a man who is incomplete. You know, by himself, he is not the full picture of everything that he should be. And so he wants to do something about it. He creates the woman and he puts them together. So we can see that God has created marriage to some degree for our blessing, for our benefit. Come on, husbands, can I get an amen? Our marriage is a blessing. Come on. Uh, Yeah, so our marriage is given to us to be a blessing in our lives. And then the scripture moves forward from Genesis. And to be honest, as you look throughout the Old Testament, you you got this giant thing that God's put into our lives. The, The biggest relationship of our lives besides our relationship with him. And you really don't get a whole lot of instruction about it. 
I mean, if it's the, the most momentous thing that happens in our lives when we get married, right? And, and she affects me every single day the rest of my life. You know, he affects you every single day for the rest of your life. Yet the Old Testament doesn't really give us a lot of instruction about it. I mean, there's, you look in Leviticus, there's some pretty clear instructions about how to cope when there's going to be a divorce, but there's not a lot of instruction on how to build a godly marriage. Most of the instruction that we get, frankly, is through the narrative. It's through the stories of the married people in the Old Testament. And how do those tend to go? Not great. Not, not great. I mean, I think about Abraham and his wife. You know, I, that's a, he is the, he's the father of the entire Jewish nation. So God points back to Abraham. He calls his people the children of Abraham. But dude, Abraham, I'm not kidding, he pimps his wife out. And he gets rich off of her sleeping with somebody else. He lies about being married to her when they go into a new place. I mean, it's a difficult relationship. And we see problems in all of these Old Testament relationships. Marriage, maybe I can get an amen on this. Marriage seems to be kind of a mystery. Yeah, would anybody agree that your marriage is kind of a mystery? We, we just had our 31st anniversary last month. Happy anniversary. Um, yeah, I, I know. Way to go, you. You've persevered um, for over three decades. So, I mean, it's 31 years. 31 years. You think I would have this down by now but I'm not going to let her come up here and tell any stories, but I blow it still all the time. I still don't have it fully figured out. I still don't understand why she does some of the things that she does. I'm not going to list them out. She's over there shaking her head at me. I don't understand why she says some of the things. I don't understand why she thinks in the patterns that she thinks in sometimes. I, I don't get it. And she, likewise, doesn't fully understand me. Am I right? I mean, she's got me figured out a lot more than I have her figured out, I'll admit. But I still don't have it figured out fully yet because marriage is somewhat of a mystery. Raise your hand if your marriage is still somewhat a mystery. Come on, let me see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, raise your hand if you've got him or her totally figured out at this point. All right, the women are, and Steve are raising their hands totally figured out oh there's going to be a surprise in your future <laughs> but God says God lays it out there for us he says in Genesis 2 24 let's look at it again he says this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one I'm really intrigued by this phrase joined to his wife Wife, I'm really intrigued by this, aren't you? I mean, when I think of joining, I, I, I tend to always think of, okay, well, I'm putting you and you together, and you're joined. But it's much, much, much more than that, isn't it? I mean, I think about the process of joining wood together. You, you ever watch somebody take these, the, the slabs of wood and put it together to make a table or something? And the wood has to go through a process. It's got to be planed. You know, it's got to be straight. You put the glue on, and then you, 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 you put them together, and when you get them fully joined together, what you find is that when you put pressure on it, the joint 
is stronger than the wood itself. See, here's the joint right here. It's stronger than the wood itself. When God joins two people, he, dude, he glues them together. He fastens them together. And the scripture says that the two become one. The two become one. You're no longer two independent individuals any longer. Am I right? You two together have become one. You complete me. Why are you shaking your head? You complete me, honey. That's what, that's what it's saying. Is you complete me. This whole thing is just a mystery. How does that even work? Why does that work the way that it does? And all through the Old Testament and through much of the New Testament, marriage seems to be a mystery until you get to this little nugget of truth that you find after reading all the way through the Bible. You get way on down, way deep into the New Testament. You get into Ephesians. And in Ephesians, we're given a little clue on why this mystery is what it is. Paul, the apostle, writes, and he says, again, he quotes Genesis 2. He says, the scriptures say a man leaves his father and mother. See, God keeps repeating the same thing to us. Leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. It's a great mystery, duh, but here's the nugget of truth. It's a mystery, but it's an illustration. Marriage may be mysterious, but your marriage is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. What this is telling us, leave this up here just for a second. What this is telling us is that God is artistic. And he loves to draw pictures. You look all through the scripture and you see him giving illustrations about himself to us in the feasts that he commands his people to have. They're all reminders, they're all pictures of who he is. You see Jesus at that table with the disciples and he draws a picture by holding up the bread and the cup and breaking them and saying, this is me doing this, right? You always see God drawing pictures and what you see right here is that marriage may be the greatest mystery of our lives but it's an illustration, it's a picture that God himself is drawing in you and in me of the way Christ and the church are one. If you look at it this way, our marriages are a much more important picture that God is drawing than even holding up the bread in the cup. It's a much more important picture because this picture exists all over the place all the time. This picture informs and influences your life every single day. This picture goes on and on and is continually being redrawn and redefined and refined. This picture changes you more than any other picture. This may be the most important picture that God is drawing, your mysterious marriage. Next blank on your page is this. Marriage is a picture of God's relationship with me. The reason God gave us marriage all the way back there in Genesis is so you could see something of him 
every day when you say good morning, every night when you say good night, every time you sit down for a meal together, as you're raising your children, as you're going and coming from work, in every aspect of your marriage, God is drawing a picture of his relationship with you and with me. Because there was a time like you were, where you were each individually separate, right? You, husband, you, wife, you weren't one like you are now. You were separate. You were two separate things. And there was a time when you and I were separated from God. Am I right? There was a time when we were far from him. We were separated from him because all of us are sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And what that does is it doesn't just separate us from him, but it puts us under God's judgment. Because of our sin, we each deserved to die because we were criminals against a holy God. But God chose to love us he chose to completely sacrifice the life of his own son on our behalf he sends jesus to come here to this world and go to the cross and take all of the sin that you or i had ever committed on himself and jesus sacrifices himself for you he takes the punishment for your sin in his own body on the cross and he dies when I should have died he dies and he rises again three days later to give me new life so that I can experience his power and his presence and his peace so that I can walk in the abundance that he has for me that's what he does for me and that's what he's showing us in marriage that's why over and over again Uh, the Bible describes God and his relationship with us in marital terms, right? I mean, John the Baptist referred to Jesus as the bride and the groom. Jesus and the church are the bride and the groom in John 3. Paul calls the church the pure bride of Christ. Jesus told a lot of parables about us, and they had to do with weddings, And my favorite is the parable of the wedding feast. In Ephesians, right here in this passage, we see that marriage is like Christ and the church. And in the end, when you get to the very end in Revelation, you see the bride presented to the groom on the wedding day. And in Revelation 21, the last chapter, you see that the bride and the groom are united forever. God is drawing a picture in you and in me, in our marriages. He is creating an image of what our relationship with God looks like. God's illustrating something in me and you. He's representing something in me and you. Our marriages aren't simply about the two of us. They're about something much bigger and much more. God is showing himself to the world through your marriage. No pressure. Right? I mean, he's showing what a relationship with him is like through your marriage. You know what that means? Husbands, that means when you come home from work every day, 
Your family should feel like Jesus who just walked in the door. I had somebody tell me, yeah, my wife feels that way about me. I know, because every day when I walk in, she goes, oh, God. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) But men, you represent Jesus in the marriage. So you should talk to your wife the way Jesus would talk to your wife. Ladies, you represent the body of Christ in your marriage. You are drawing a picture to all of your lady friends about Jesus when you talk about your husband. So you should always be talking about your husband the way the church talks about Christ. No pressure. God is drawing a picture. The whole reason he gave us this mysterious, difficult, giant thing is so that the world, the lost and dying world, could see him more clearly. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, there's going to be times when you're bumping heads against each other because all of us are sinful, right? All of us make mistakes. All of us blow it from time to time. Can I get an amen, Sherry? Okay, she's zipping her lips. But I'm telling you, the best husbands and the best wives in the room have this figured out. The best husbands and the best wives are the ones that figured out that this relationship is not about me. It's about him. This relationship is not about what I get out of it. It's about glorifying God in it. This marriage ought to be a picture of denying myself and taking up my cross and following him. Men, it's about loving your wives the way Christ loved the church. It's a completely self-sacrificial love. It's a complete pouring out of yourself, no matter how many times she betrays you. No pressure. Ladies, you represent the body of Christ, so this marriage, your role is to have an awesome view of your husband and desire to serve him no matter what. No pressure. Is your marriage a picture of what God wants to show to the world or is it a picture of yourself? Are you guys always trying to bargain and compromise and wind up as close to 50-50 so I get my half and he gets his half? You know, so I get what I want out of the relationship and she gets what she wants out of the relationship. In other words, next blank on your page, is my marriage a picture of God or is it just a selfie am I trying to draw a picture of Jesus to my spouse to my kids to my co-workers to my neighbors to my classmates am I trying to show a picture of God or am I just drawing a picture of myself am I just hogging this all for me man your wives should feel like she's married to Jesus and women you're Children should feel like they know how much we surrender to Christ by watching you 
surrender to a husband. No pressure. I know it's tough. But God loves marriage. And this is his idea and his picture that he's drawing. No wonder God hates divorce so much. Because he's designed marriage to be his. To look like him. And divorce is the opposite of him. Divorce is about hurt and betrayal and anger and pain. Divorce says that we had our problems with each other and there was nothing stronger than our problems. And our marriage is defeated because of the problems that we have. Divorce says there was no hope for the relationship, that love has somehow let us down. In other words, next blank on your page, divorce is a broken picture. Divorce is just a broken picture. It's inadequate. It does not show who God is. But I want to say something right now to those of you in the room that are looking into your future and you are seeing this coming down the road. Your marriage has been rocky maybe for a year, maybe two, maybe three, and you haven't done anything about it. You're just being really good about showing up and holding hands and smiling and acting like everything's okay, but it's not okay. And you're worried about this right now. Maybe, maybe I'm talking to people who are going through this now who are dealing with the burden of he just left or she just took off. I don't know what to do next and I'm hurting and I'm looking for answers. Well, I wanna read to you a passage that we've been in the last couple of weeks that I think applies right here into our marriages more than anywhere else. And it's Romans 8, 31. And it says this, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? There is hope for your marriage. There is something bigger, something stronger than the conflict that you've been going through. If God is for us, I believe he's for your marriage. I believe he's for you in your marriage. And if he's for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? If he gave us Jesus, won't he even have enough love for us to jump into our marriages and reunite us? Can he do that? Can God do that? Is God stronger than the betrayal? I'm gonna ask that again. Is God stronger than the betrayal? Is God stronger than the abuse? Is God stronger than the neglect? God is bigger than all of that, and he believes in your marriage. And I just want to say one thing while I'm thinking about it. If you're in a marriage that's abusive, if you are in a situation where you are being emotionally abused or physically abused, listen, there's, there's, you do not belong there. I believe that God has a plan and can heal your marriage 
but you do not need to be subjecting yourself to that situation. And there's help for you, okay? We want to come alongside you and help you any way that we can. But I believe the ultimate result is that God heals marriages. Maybe you've been through divorce already. Maybe you're here and you're a divorce survivor. Look at what Scripture says about that. this. It goes on in the same passage in Romans 8. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Did you see that right there? God has Jesus at his right hand. And what's Jesus doing right now? He's praying for your marriage. Jesus is advocating on your behalf right now for you and for your marriage. Man, that ought to be good news for you that you've got Jesus himself as your prayer warrior. Okay, I guess I'm the only one excited about that. Thank you for the few of you that fake it till you make it. All right. He goes on and he says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us because we have trouble or calamity because we've been through the crap in our lives? Does it mean that he doesn't love us if we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. You are designed to be a victorious overcomer even in your marriage because of Jesus, right? That's why Philippians 4.13 says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So a couple of tips for you as we get ready to go into this marriage series. I'm gonna be doing a four-week-long marriage series hoping to help marriages in our church and in our community. So have you been, if you've been divorced, if you've got divorce in your past, my tip for you is to forgive. That's the Jesus response. Forgive. That's the Jesus thing to do. Maybe you need to start by forgiving yourself. You know, maybe it's time for you to finally get past that past. Maybe you need to receive the forgiveness of Jesus. Maybe you are watching online and maybe you've been burned by the church in the past. Because I'll be honest, we, the church, we don't do well with this. We don't handle this really, really well. We try to take God's word and we do our best to wrap our arms around people and love people. But you know what? When we interject our thoughts and our opinions and our ideas, all we got is judgment and condemnation. And we speak harshly sometimes to people. I mean, there's churches that disavow anyone that has a divorce in their past. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't do that? Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't disavow you because you have a past? Jesus, Jesus doesn't hate you because of your past. Jesus rescues you from your past. And he redeems your past to use it for his much better story. That's what Jesus does. 
There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is telling a much better story, and he can even redeem that awful, dark, painful chapter of your life to tell the story of his great glory. He has a plan for you in your life, and he never gives up on that plan. He never gives up on you. So, God's plan for you is forgiveness. He wants to give you forgiveness, and he wants you to extend forgiveness to those that have hurt you in the past. If you're in the room and you're not yet married, I want to give you the same advice that the knight gave to Indiana Jones. Here it is. Choose wisely. (laughs) Choose wisely. I'm going to be doing this marriage series to help you hopefully be prepared for a married future. And let me tell you something. I'm the pastor, okay? Let me just tell you. There's times... There's times when I sit down with a couple, and I, I, know, I know you love to tell the stories. They all told us we shouldn't get married, but we got married anyway, and now we're living happily ever after. I know you like those stories, but there's times, I'm telling you, there's times. When I'm doing the, you know, counseling with a couple before they get married, and dude, I'm looking at them going, dude, this ain't going to work. <laughs> this, just, this is not, I'm telling you, this isn't going to work. You might want to really think about this. And you know how that meeting ends. They're like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just an idiot. Why are you you coming down harsh on us, man? We just want to get married. And I'm like, look, why don't we pray about this? Why don't we seek? But, you know, they, they get mad. They storm out. They leave the church never to return. Because I said it wasn't going to work out. They go get married without me somewhere. But then three, four, five years later, one of them comes back. You were right, Steve. That was the biggest mistake of my life. And if I'd have known then what I know now, I would have never married that one in the first place. If I'd have known then what I'd have known now, I I, I would have listened to you. (sighs) But you were right. Listen, when you get all, you know, in love, you get all caught up in the moment, and you can't see it. And I'd like to help you in this marriage series begin to lay a foundation for who God's designed to be your spouse. So if you're not yet married, hang with me through this series. I believe it'll help you choose wisely. Maybe, last one, maybe you're married now and uh, you're like, well, what am I gonna do about this? I don't wanna divorce in my future. Well, I want you to paint the picture. I want you to paint the picture. If you don't want divorce in your future, paint the picture. Live the life that God wants you to live. That marriage isn't yours, it's his. So I hope that you will all be part of this marriage series that starts next week. I hope you'll bring someone with you. There's probably somebody you know that needs to be part of this. Even if you're a high school student or a middle school student, wouldn't you rather be prepared for marriage now than have to come along and repair your life later on? Can I get an amen on that? Too many of us have been too far down that road and we'd really rather you see you get prepared instead of having to repair later. So 
My challenge for you is the last blank on your page. In our marriages, it will paint the picture. Paint the picture of God's relationship with us in our marriages. Thank you.